All right, so we are going to take a break from Romans, as I shared last week, probably take about six weeks off. And today and the next three Sundays, our plan is to explore the Lord's Prayer. If you grew up in church, you probably heard this prayer said often. Some churches say it every single week. Uh, We don't say it every single week here, but we say it often, uh, different times here and there, different gatherings, different meetings. If you grew up in church, you probably had it memorized. If you didn't grow up in church, or if your parents aren't Christians, you probably don't have this memorized, and that's fine. But this prayer that we are going to look at um, is one of Jesus' most basic teachings on prayer. I believe it's also one of his most important teachings on prayer. And we're going to take four weeks to go through the entire prayer. And you're like, wow, how do we do that? It is a short passage. The prayer is in Matthew 6 from verse 9 through 13. So it's only five verses in the prayer. What we're going to do is today we're going to look at some introductory verses, a a, a teaching that Jesus does on prayer before he gets into what we call the Lord's Prayer. And over the next three weeks during our discussion time, we're not going to, you know, spend 20 minutes trying to discuss one sentence, you know, when, as we break down the passage. But we're going to look somewhere else in the Bible where it gives a more extensive teaching on the idea. Like next week, we're going to look at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Well, you know, let, let's get a bit more in our discussion to meditate on. So next week, we're going to be in Daniel 7, 1 through 28. It's a long passage. There's nothing simple about it. I will not answer all your questions next week about that passage, but I will highlight just a couple key things next week. But all the questions are good. They're good questions to have, and we can hash those out um, in our discussion and at other times. But our passage today is Matthew 6, 5 through 9. If you're using a blue Bible, it's page 899. Turn there if you haven't already. So Jesus, in this passage, he teaches us how to not pray, and then he teaches us how to pray, and then he teaches us how to not pray, and then he teaches us how to pray. But before we read it, I want to share this quote to you, quote with you, from a man who lived 1,600 years ago. We know him as St. Augustine. It's on the screen behind me. And I share this quote with you because I've mentioned the term Advent today. What does Advent mean? Well, it means arrival. And Jesus arrived on the scene once, and he's going to arrive on the scene a second time. And there's a particular way that we are to live between his first arrival and his second arrival. And I want to read this to you because it captures some of the major differences between what Jesus did the first time and what he's going to do when he comes back the second time. The first coming of Christ the Lord, God's Son, and our God was in obscurity. The second will be in the sight of the whole world. What's obscurity means? It means not many people saw it. It's kind of quiet. So the first coming of Christ the Lord, God's Son, and our God was in obscurity. The second will be in the sight of the whole world. When he came in obscurity, no one recognized him but his own servants. When he comes openly, he will be known or seen by both good people and bad. 
When he came in obscurity, it was to be judged. When he comes openly, it will be to judge. So that kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? So what is it that we need to do to be ready for his second coming? And how is it that we are to live today? Well, from Jesus' prayer in Matthew 6, we're going to get answers to those questions. So let's read Matthew 6, verses 5 through 9. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's our passage for the day. Take a few minutes, dig into it, meditate on it yourself, and we'll have discussions in a few minutes. In this passage, Jesus is going to teach us how not to do it. He's going to teach us how to do it. Then he's going to teach us how not to do it again, and then he's going to teach us how to do it. In this passage, he points out extremes on both sides, and he kind of calls you to a middle ground. In this passage, it would be easy to assume that you know you can only pray in a certain part of your house, but not other places. And that's not the case at all. So, let's get into this. Verse 5, how not to pray. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So don't be like the hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? I learned something cool this week. A hypocrite is someone, well, the way that word used to be used, it had to do with someone being an actor. I found that to be very interesting. I did some more digging on it. I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, but there would be a play, there'd be a festival, there'd be an event, and one person would play many different roles. He would act as this type of person one time, and then another type of person the next time. He would dress up so that he would appear different on one occasion from how he appeared on another occasion. And I know, I don't know if this is true with how the word hypocrite came around, but I do know that there was a day when women were not allowed to be actors, so men would dress up as women. They were acting. They were playing a part. They were trying to be something that they were really not. And in this passage, Jesus is well aware of many hypocrites around, and he says to his people, do not try to be like them. Do not put on a show. And I want to tell you, We have hypocrites in our world today. Well, Jesus had plenty of hypocrites 2,000 years ago. And just, it's kind of a, just a normal, universal, basic 
part of human nature, there is a lot of hypocrisy out there in the world. And we struggle with it ourselves, don't we? It is a very real thing. So these hypocrites, we aren't to be like them. They, they, what, do they, what do they love? They love to stand and pray right in the middle of town. They love to stand and pray right where everybody can see them. Something about that feels really, really good to them. Now for them in that day, they prayed in the synagogues. So the synagogue was a small gathering place where Jews would gather to worship. It wasn't super different from what we do here. Except we have Jesus and they didn't. But they were worshiping the, the God the Father. They were worshiping the God of, of Jesus, the God who sent Jesus. And it was a gathering like this. It was a public gathering. There were leaders. And there were a lot of participants in that gathering. Well, some people wanted to pray a bunch and wanted everyone to see them, wanted everyone to hear them. And Jesus says, don't be like them. In addition to the gathering at the synagogue, they, Jews prayed, they had um, to stop and pray at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m. And that was just the tradition for the Jewish people. And there were several different prayers that they prayed. There was one collection of 18 short prayers. Well, when you put 18 short prayers together, they become one long prayer, right? And so at 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m., they would stop and they'd pray wherever they were at. But some people, the really special ones, they would stop or, or they would make sure that they were in the most crowded spot they could be in at noon so that everyone could hear them pray. What was their reward? That they would be seen by others. At the heart of our passage today is this warning that we shouldn't perform in prayer. Prayer is not a performance. You all, life is not a performance. A ballet is a performance. A play is a performance. There's a lot, a lot of TV shows. You, you, there's lots of performances in our world, isn't there? Prayer is not to be a performance. These people are performing for others. They have ill and wrong and bad motivations when it comes to their relationship, their horizontal relationships with other people. And they want to make things about them. They're very proud. And their reward is just what they are seeking. It is the recognition of others. It is the approval of others. He says they have, at the end of verse 5, Jesus says, I say to you, these people, they have received their reward. They wanted people to think they're awesome. And some people certainly do think they're awesome. They're not fooling everybody, by no means. Hypocrites don't fool everybody, right? But the people who do think they're awesome, that's the only reward they get. They don't get God. They don't get what they're praying for. Because they're praying wrongly. They're praying with wrong motives. They're performing instead of just coming to God, knowing that He's your Father. And we'll get into that for a minute. In a minute. Two weeks ago, we saw at the end of Romans chapter 2 that a true Jewish person is one inwardly, and in, in that circumcision is a matter of heart by the Spirit, not by the law of God. And it goes to say, His praise is not from man, but from God. These hypocrites aren't going 
after the recognition of God. They aren't going after um, having God acknowledge you and, and see you. They aren't going after the reward that God wants to give. Instead, they're settling for a very low reward. How many of y'all like to do stuff just so other people will think you're cool? Now I'm mostly talking to those that are younger than me, but, you know, five of you that are older than me and myself, we aren't immune to this either, are we? But when you're riding around in a crowd, you know, you got some friends with you, when you're at church, when you're at the ballpark, wherever it is that you may be, when you're at school, how much do you do so that other people will think that you're cool or that you're awesome or maybe you want them to think something that's true about you that's not really true about you at all? Are you being an actor? Are you being a hypocrite? Y'all, this is dangerous stuff. This is the application of what Jesus is saying in verse 5. The application of this is far-reaching. Do you want people to really see who you are or do you want them to constantly think that you're somebody else and if you want them to think that you're somebody else then you're living a lie and whenever you're living a lie you're constantly hiding and let me tell you what playing hide and go seek when nobody else is playing is really old raise your hand if you've ever done that you play hide and seek and you were hiding and somebody quit seeking if you're living a lie if you're trying to show someone how cool you are if you're trying to get the acknowledgement or the reward of, of other people's praise, okay, Th- then that means you have to hide other things that you don't want them to see. And that is exhausting. If you're living a lie, it is time to repent. These hypocrites that Jesus was warning about, they needed to repent. They needed to come before God, stop trying to press other people, and just go for that acknowledgement, that praise that comes from God. So verse 5, don't pray like that. Verse 6 says, pray like this. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. Let me tell you this. I'm going to speak very strongly here. Every one of God's people needs a secret place. Every one of us, we need a secret place. Now some of you, you shouldn't go into your closet and try to pray in there because something's going to fall on your head and you're going to (laughs) die. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you have walk-in closets, plenty of space. That's a great space to do it at. You know, that's cool. All right? Jesus isn't telling you to go pray in your closet. He's telling you to go pray somewhere where no one will notice you. He is telling you how to pray so that you won't do the same thing that the hypocrite in verse 5 is doing. So where's your quiet spot? Is it a walk as the sun rises? Is it... Um, a time in a certain chair in your house when no one else is awake, whether that be early in the morning, late at night, it doesn't matter. Where is your secret place? What type of routine do you have? Okay? You know, I don't even think you have to go to your secret place every day. I think you need to pray every day. But some, uh, sometimes, like, like I've, I've got a few different places I can't go to every day, but I go to occasionally. And I know when I go there, I'm going to meet with God in a special way. Now, Jesus did this over and over and over again. I, 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 I chose not to write all the references down, but there's at least a half dozen references where Jesus says he went all by himself to go pray. That was a regular part of his ministry. And that's what Jesus is teaching them to do here. Go in your room, shut the door, 
and pray to your Father who is in secret. Invest in that vertical relationship, okay? He's the Father, you're the Son, you're the child. He's the Father, we are His child. And a good dad listens to his kids, right? Now, some of us, we've got some dads that are better than others, right? Some of us got great dads, some of us don't. So some, we all have imperfect dads. I'm the first to say that I'm a very imperfect father. You, you know, but this father in heaven is perfect in every single way. And you know what? Even though he has a lot of other kids, he's always got time for you. Y'all, that's special. That's special. You know, I got two ears and I got seven kids. I don't know how many years God has, but I know he's got a lot more kids than me. And he can hear every single one of them perfectly. And it's a beautiful thing. So, there, in verse 6, we see Father mentioned two times. Y'all see that? Your Father. And your Father. The hypocrites in verse 5, they can't do that. They can't pray to their Father because those people don't realize who God is. They think that God can be manipulated into making them look good or doing something special for them. Well, when a kid comes to their dad... They come knowing that their dad just wants to do something special for them because he's their dad. Now, this word father in the Old Testament for the Jews, they didn't use this word to speak to God. Now, there were times when he was described as a father, kind of like a metaphor or or an analogy. But they didn't go up and say father. But Jesus, God's son, comes and he starts talking to the father. But then he's now talking to God's people and he's like, your father. See, Jesus... It's not like, hey, he's just my father. But no, anyone who comes to God is his child. So when Jesus, does anybody remember what God said when Jesus got baptized? He says, this is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is God's son. But in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says this. That Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive them, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So anyone who received Jesus, anyone who believed in his name, God adopted that person into his family and that person becomes a child of God. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Okay, let me say this. We are not all, everyone in the world is not God's child. People want you to believe that today. No. Sinners are not God's children. But when God forgives you, he adopts you into his family. That's when you become a child of God. The theme, the idea of adoption is huge in the scripture. It's huge. And anyone who belongs to God must say there was a time I did not belong to God. There was a time when I was not a part of his family, but I received Jesus. I believed in his name and now I am his child. And when you realize that, you can talk to God in a way so much deeper, so much closer than you've ever talked to him before. It's a beautiful thing. So we need to make a secret place. We need to go there often and we need to create a routine. We also need to know that this verse does not forbid prayer meetings or public prayer. I am not in sin because I led us in a prayer earlier. 
At least you don't think I'm innocent. But if I'm up here saying, I practice this prayer really hard, I'm going to make it sound really good, I'm going to hit the ball at the park, and every one of my church members is going to have spiritual land, that would be sinful. See, the condemnation here, the warning, is not against public prayer. It's not against prayer meetings. But it's about our hearts and what's going on them when we pray. And the hypocrite has the wrong heart, and they're performing for other people. These verses are warnings about extremes, and we have to stay away from both extremes. He goes on to say, your father who sees in secret will reward you. What is the reward? Well, Jesus doesn't say, but here's what I recommend. You do what he says, and you find out what the reward is for yourself. Can we do that in here? Can we do that? We get to verse 7, more on how not to pray. So verse 5, he had one extreme. Verse 7 is a different extreme. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Y'all, that's beautiful right there. The Father knows what we need before we ask Him. I'll get into that in a minute. But here, he, earlier he said, don't be like the super religious hypocrites who want to do religious things and look really good while they do it. Well, here he says, don't look like all these other religious people out there. Or don't, I'm sorry, not, I, I said don't look. I said don't, I should have said don't be like all these other religious people out there. Now, we, we got the Gentiles, right? They're the nations that aren't Jewish. Did y'all know that they weren't atheists? Instead of one God, they had a whole lot of isn't it kind of hard enough to think through what one God wants from you? Imagine if you got a hundred different gods and you got to live to keep them all happy. That'd be extra difficult, wouldn't it? Well, the other nations, and this is true for many faiths today. This is not true for Jews. This is not true for Christians. This is not true for Muslims. But all the other religions of the world, to the best of my knowledge, they all have multiple gods. The Jewish faith, the Christian faith, and the Muslim faith are the only ones that claim to have one God from what I understand. Well, they had a lot of them. And they thought if they are going to get their God's attention, then they've got to perform and they've got to work really hard. The hypocrites that we looked at in verse 5, they're performing for other people in that horizontal relationship. These people, they're trying to perform for God, their gods, in that vertical relationship. And they think, man, if they just say the right thing or if they say it over and over again, if they say it a whole bunch, then God's going to hear me. There's one story and um, I believe it's 1 Kings 18. There's a prophet. His name is Elijah. And the, there's um, a bunch of false prophets that worshipped a god named Baal and a lot of other gods. And God's man, Elijah, challenged them one time. A little bit of a contest. And I'll leave out the details of the contest. But Elijah, he just prayed and God answered his prayer right then. Well, the other false prophets, there were um, a whole bunch of them. Maybe, I think 450 of them. Does that sound right? I read it this morning. But they, they started about 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay? By the time we go to school, we go to work. And they prayed for hours and hours and hours. And you know what? Their God was not answering them. They started to cut themselves. God, I've been praying. God, I've been worshiping. You're not doing this. I'm going to have to try harder to slice. Maybe that'll be good enough for you to come down and do something for me. You all, that is not how the people of God are to approach him. We are to approach God knowing that he is our father 
And as verse 8 says, he knows what we need before we asked him. See, these Gentiles, they think they have to do something to be heard. They don't realize that having God in your life is a free gift. They think they have to do something to be heard. It's like paying them money. It's like this transaction. It's like trying to manipulate them. If I get him good enough of a Christmas gift, then he's going to get me that new car I think I need next year. And there's churches that teach things similar to like that. We need to get away from that. We've got to stay away from that. We don't serve God on a transaction basis. If we did, we would have all been in hell a long time ago because we don't deserve anything that he's given us because our sin is so great. But yet in his grace... He freely gives us forgiveness. He freely gives us his son, Jesus Christ. And he freely gives us the things that we pray for. These people are stuck in performance-based prayer. And they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do you see that? Middle of verse 7, it says, They think that they will be heard for their many words. If you think wrong you'll often do wrong. If you have a misunderstanding about God, or if you're in a, just a wrong frame of mind, it'll often lead to wrong actions. And this type of behavior, if you don't realize how much God loves you, and if you don't realize that He's your Father, this is how you're going to live. You're going to have to try to work real hard to get Him to do something for you because you think you have to earn it and deserve it. But we as Christians who believe the gospel, we realize we haven't earned anything. We realize that that we can bring him nothing that is good enough for him to be um, in debt to us. And we know that he's a good and perfect father. So we just go to him. So what are these empty phrases? I ask. Well, we're guilty of this sometime today. Maybe the longer I pray, the more likely God is to hear me. Some of us in here think that we have to sound a certain way for God to hear us. Some of us in here think, well, I can't pray like that, so I'm just not going to pray. And I want to tell you, you don't have to sound like anybody else. You need to sound like you sound. And in order to discover how you sound, you have to do it. You have to begin to pray. And that application goes for public gatherings as well as household gathering or, or, you know, private prayer, you know, when you're by yourself in your room alone with God. But if there's anybody in here who thinks, well, I can't pray because I don't sound like so-and-so, or I can't pray because my prayers are always short. I want you to notice that this prayer that Jesus teaches us how to pray in verses 9 through 13 of this chapter, it's one of the shortest prayers I've ever seen. Almost every prayer you hear me pray is much longer than that. I wish I could pray as briefly and as well as Jesus did. You all, short prayers are beautiful prayers. And we can pray those prayers. Don't be afraid to pray those prayers. Don't think you shouldn't pray or can't pray because you don't sound like so-and-so. And don't think that you shouldn't pray because you don't have much to say. You say the tiniest, smallest thing to God. If he is your father, I promise you he is going to hear you. I promise you that he is going to hear you. Verse 8, Jesus says, don't be like those Gentiles. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
Now, don't hear that and get lazy and think, well, God already knows what I need, so I'm not going to ask him. That attitude will get you nothing from the Father. And that attitude goes against God's commands elsewhere. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. He says, seek and you will find. He says, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So your God, your Father, He already knows what you need, but we ask Him anyway, don't we? You know, there's a lot of things we need that we don't have to ask God for, and God just gives it to us, right? Same way with me and my kids. But there's things that they need, and they ask me for it. And I already knew that they need it. But you know what? There's this relationship that develops as they ask me for what they need. And there's something special about that. It brings us closer. It draws us nearer to one another. And when he says that your father knows what you need before you ask him, this points to the goodness of the father and his power to give what we ask. That same passage in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if his son asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Like I said already, I'm an imperfect father. All fathers are imperfect. And unless Jesus has changed us, our nature is evil. And all of us, whether Jesus has changed us or not, we struggle with sin, right? We're tempted to do the wrong thing. So if me and if you all as imperfect fathers or imperfect parents want to give something good to your Kids, then think about the most pure and holy God ever. Whose goodness far outstretches any goodness that we have in ourselves. If we who are evil want to do good things for our kids, how much more the perfect, loving, heavenly father, how much more will he want to give us something good? You all, our father knows what we need before we ask him. But he says, ask, he says, seek, he says, knock. And that's what we do. And we do it over and over and over again. So how to pray, how not to pray, how to pray, how not to pray. Verse nine teaches us how to start our prayers. We got to realize who we're talking to you all. Our father in heaven. First off, he's not my daddy. Okay, he is my daddy, but he's not my daddy. It's not just me and God. No, you still go to your prayer closet. But when you pray, you realize that he is our father. Okay, God just didn't come down and save you because he thinks you're special. No, he saved you because he loves you and he made you a part of a family. When we cry out to God, our father, we are recognizing that we're not an only child. We are recognizing that God has put us in a family, and that family is the church. Now, you've got this invisible church that you can't see because God's people, God's family spread all over the world. But then you also have this visible local church that you can see because we all know who's a part of this thing here, right? 
So when we pray our Father, we're acknowledging that God has saved people all over this world, but He's also saved a group of people and we gather for worship and we are family in a super close way and we all have the same Father in heaven. It's not just me and God. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me. It's God. It's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and all of God's other children. That's what's important. And this first request, and we're going to end with this. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? So I read an article many years, let's say it would have been 2006. I took a class that summer. So it's been 15 years ago. And I learned what that meant. And it changed my life. Y'all are familiar with the word holy, aren't you? To be holy is to be set apart, to be pure. You know, we say God is holy. We, we sang it today, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, holy, 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 I want to see you. Why is it that we put the word holy in so many songs? It's because the word holy describes every single aspect of God, every single part of his character. He is holy. He is Holy in the sense that he's set apart. He's not like us. He's so far above and beyond us. We are so different from him. It shows the difference between us. And it also has to do with his purity. He is pure and sinless and righteous in every single way. And I could go on about the holiness of God all day long, possibly, but I'm not. I'll stop there. So we're familiar with the word holy. Holy is an adjective. It describes Something. Our God, He is holy. Okay? Um, holiness, that's a noun, right? I want that level of holiness in my life. So we're pointing to something. But this word, hallowed, is holy as a verb. Our Father, hallowed be your name, or our Father, Make your name holy. Now, is his name holy already? Yes, it is. But this prayer is a prayer that the whole world would see the holiness and the perfection of God. Now, in this Lord's Prayer, he does say, you know, God, give us our daily bread and all that stuff, you know, so we'll cover that in two weeks. In this prayer, there is a lot of personal stuff, but he doesn't start there. He starts... With this, about God's name. And he says, God, show the world how holy you are. Show the world how perfect you are. Show the world how incredible you are. All that purity, I want it to be all over the world. My neighbor, who keeps inviting men to live with her, who beat her in her own drugs. God, hallowed be your name in that house. God, so-and-so is a bully at school. Make him holy. Hallowed be your name in that boy that is so mean and rotten to me. Hallowed be your name. There's no holiness there. There's nothing about them but filth and, and, and garbage and, and just all kinds of Things that break the heart of God and cause so much pain in our world. But God, I'm praying, hallowed be your name in that place and in that person. God, in North Korea, where the government 
taxes its people so much that they can't even feed their kids. Where the corruption is so nasty and filthy. Hallowed be your name in that dictator's house. So he can set his people free so they can live their life and keep the wages that they earn with their bare hands. And so that they can feed and support their family. Hallowed be your name in the midst of all of that wickedness. Y'all didn't know this was a sermon on missions, did you? How do we pray? We pray to our Father and we ask that God would make everything holy. When we pray this, we are praying for everyone who we know is far from God. When we pray this, we're praying that every human heart that doesn't have regard for God's holiness would begin to do so. When we pray this, we are praying that every square inch of the universe where God is not praised would see God's holiness and that they would repent and give God the glory that is due to his name. John Piper says, to hallow God's name means to put it in a class by itself and to cherish and honor it above every claim to our allegiance or affection." That was a statement I read 15 years ago that rocked my world. To hallow God's name means to put it in a class by itself and to cherish and honor it above every claim to our allegiance or affection. And John Calvin wrote this. He was a really cool guy that lived about 500 years ago. He said this. God's name is to be deemed holy. That is recognized for what it is and exalted as is right and proper. When we pray this, we are praying that anything that would seek to obscure his great name may perish and pass away. May all ungodliness be swept away. May all compromise be swept away. May all lying be swept away. May our idolatry be swept away. When we pray that God's name would be hallowed, we're praying that his holiness would invade this earth and that the light would overcome the darkness. Y'all, this is a battle prayer right here. God, go into that dark place, kick Satan's butt, and rescue those people right now, just like you did me. That's what this prayer is all about. Let's pray together.